a disclaimer. Uh, been battling, I think, what is the beginning of a cold the last few days, so uh, pray for <laughs> grace if I don't want to start coughing and, and hacking in the middle of this. Um, as I went through my notes yesterday, I didn't, and so, uh, but just giving a little bit of a disclaimer. And uh, while you're turning to Deuteronomy 34, um, last week we were in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see this great choice that Moses lays down to the people. He gives them two options. There's life and death, good or bad. The choice was the people's. They could decide to listen they could choose to obey, do what God has asked them to do, and they could receive the promised land and the blessings that, that come with doing the things that God asked them to do and to being obedient. They would multiply. God would bless them and not just the blessing of the promised land, but bless them in the promised land. But he also said, you can choose to do the opposite. You can choose to ignore me. You can choose to worship other gods and idols, and doing so, you could face the consequences of that. You can lose out on the promised land. You will perish just as your enemies have perished. And really, all this time later, that choice still has to be made on our part. We have that choice to make. We can either choose to live for God. We can choose to do what he asks us to do. We can choose to give our life to him, or we can choose to give our life to the things of this world. But there's consequences for that. We talked about those consequences. Uh, you know, things like a lack of true peace, standing condemned before God, slaves to our sin. But if we choose life, if we choose life in him, we no longer stand condemned. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We have a, a hope and a future with him for all eternity. And so now we fast forward to the end of Deuteronomy, and this is really the culmination of the time that we have spent in the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And we've seen a lot of important events and the history of scripture. We've met a lot of important people, men like Moses. And, and you know, as strange as this is for me to say, and as strange as it is probably going to be for you to hear, if you were to ask me, what are some of my favorite things, or what's, what's one of your favorite things about being in ministry, about uh, you know, being a part of the kingdom work? What, what's one of your favorite things? I would tell you that one of the favorite things that I get to do is funerals for those who have given their life to Christ. And make no mistake, it's hard. It's hard to do a funeral. It's, it's hard to, you know, to be doing that while you're grieving because I think a misconception is sometimes that you're not grieving. It's just the family and friends that are grieving, but you know, you're also family, you're also friend, and you're, you're grieving through it. But one of the things that I love about it is being able to celebrate the life of someone who lived for Christ, who spent so much time you know, being a part of kingdom work and, and 
man, to see the way they lived for, for Jesus and to know that we're celebrating that they are, man, they're seeing glory in that morning. What, what a better thing to celebrate. It's an amazing thing. This morning in Deuteronomy 34, we find ourselves witnessing a funeral. And it's a somber moment between God and his servant. And you may notice this as we go through. There's, there's no family. There's, there's no family. There's no friends. There's nobody there but God and the servant. And it's really a somber and yet beautiful moment in Deuteronomy 34. And you see, one of the things about funerals is that it's celebrating a life, but it's also a time to remember it's a time to remember not just the person, but the example that that person set. And in our text this morning, I think that we can find reminders for us all this time later. And so we're going to start in the first eight verses of Deuteronomy 34. And it says this, it says, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And so Moses climbs Mount Nebo here at the beginning of our text at 120 years old. And he's shown the promised land. And it had been told to Moses that he would climb Mount Nebo to overlook this promised land. In Deuteronomy 3.27, it says, Go up to the top of Pishkah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, 48 through 50, he says it again, that very day the Lord spoke to Moses, go to the top of the mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. So we see that this was coming. He knew that this would be a thing that he would have to do. And we know the reason why that he's going to have to do this is because he wasn't going to go into the promised land. And we know the reason why he's not going to go into the promised land. It's because in a moment of frustration and anger, he broke faith in God. For that moment, he was faithless. And he did not do what he was supposed to do. Instead, he strikes the rock instead of telling it to bring forth water. Matter of fact, God tells him this in Deuteronomy 32, 51 through 52, the reason why, because you broke faith with me, 
in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there and to the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. And so he's not going to be able to go in, but he is going to get to see the promised land. And this is a really interesting description used here to talk about Moses seeing all the land. Looking at the description we see here in Scripture, he would have started looking north, moving to the south. I think there might be a map on one of the next slides that shows kind of the directional pattern. He would look north, moving to the south. And what's interesting in this description is it's not really possible to see everything that he's mentioning here. It says that he would see as far as the, the western sea, which would be the Mediterranean Sea. And one couldn't see the Mediterranean Sea from Mount Nebo. And so there's very different views for what this means, that he's able to see all of this promised land. Some believe that this is just a description used by God to say to Moses that everything that you see is land that has been promised. It's land that they are going to inherit. Others say that it's possible that God had given Moses supernatural sight to allow him to see all the promised land, all of it, regardless of the restrictions or the limitations. Either one is possible. Who am I to say that God couldn't have given him supernatural vision to see everything? But whatever the case is, we see what matters is that he was able to see the promised land. And now the time has come for fulfillment of the promise. The promise had been made all the way back in Genesis that, that this land would be inherited by Abraham's people. And now it was time for this to be fulfilled. And it is here that we come to the end of Moses' life on earth. And what follows is God taking Moses and burying him. In such a, a beautiful moment, we see that God buries Moses. Nobody else has this but Moses. And his life here comes to an end. And it seems that a lot of people have kind of put a lot of mystery behind this. And it is kind of interesting, all the details that take place here. It does kind of make it a little bit mysterious. You see, we mentioned that God buries him. Some say that the phrase, he buried him, could be translated as he was buried, as to imply that anybody could have buried him. The problem is, is the text doesn't say that. It says that God buried him. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of questions that come from this. For example, why did God bury him instead of having Joshua or some other person bury him? And, and why was it hidden? Some scholars believe that the people might have been tempted to turn Moses' grave into a shrine or a place of worship. We know that the people were prone to temptation to worship idols. Could they have turned Moses' grave into an idol? Others believe that Moses didn't really die and he was taken straight into heaven just like Elijah. And they say, well, look at the Mount of Transfiguration and who are the two people that appear there, Moses and Elijah? But I don't think that's the case because why wouldn't they not just say that if Moses was just taking up? I don't think they would have tried to hide that in the scripture. No, I think it was, I think it was God who 
took Moses, buried him. Then the other mystery that comes from this is, what about Jude? In the book of Jude, in, in verse 9, it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. You see, no other details are given here. There's no reasons given here. Possibly Satan wanted to know where the body was to, to take it and you know, tell people, hey, go and worship the grave. There's a lot of mystery that people kind of put at this, and I think we get so caught up in the mystery of all of this that we miss what really goes on. You see, I think at its core, God is burying his friend. He's burying his friend. There was a closeness there. There was a relationship. I think Moses was pretty important to God. And one other little important thing to mention here, we notice that Moses doesn't go in some tragic fashion. He was 120 years old, but his eyes were not dimmed. His strength was not gone. Moses was in his prime at 120 years old. Maybe you're thinking, man, when I get to 120 years old, I want to be in the prime of my life as well. You see, it was simply his time. Moses had completed the task that God had given to him. It was his time. This makes me think of the words of John Owen, who said, We cannot enjoy peace in this world unless we are ready to yield to the will of God in respect of death. Our times are in his hand at his sovereign disposal. We must accept that as best. And we see that the Israelites mourned Moses for 30 days. You know what? 30 days is a whole lot longer than the regular seven days that an Israelite would normally mourn the loss of a loved one. I find it interesting that they mourned for 30 days despite all the time they grumbled and complained against Moses. I think the people must have cared for him a little bit. And so in these first eight verses, I think we find reminder number one. We should praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his mercy. And you could probably read these first eight verses and you could find a lot of things to pull out that would be good reminders to you. But the thing that really stands out to me is mercy. You see, we've touched on this a little bit in the past, but I think it bears repeating. A lot of people take issue to this. They take issue to these first eight verses and they think it's just not fair because in our human mind, in our brain, we think that one little mistake shouldn't be enough to lose out on something like this. And we look at it sometimes as it just feels like it's being rubbed in Moses' face. But you see, I don't think that's what God is doing here. I don't think God's showing him the promised land to torment him. He's not rubbing it in his face. No, what he's really doing is he's showing him mercy. He's showing him compassion, allowing him to see the promised land. Because you know, really, God didn't have to. God could have said, no, you don't get to see this promised land. You chose to broke faith. You chose not to listen. You chose to ignore what I told you to do. Moses knew the consequences of his unbelief. He watched as a whole generation would lose out on the promised land because of unbelief. 
God could have said, I'm sorry, but no. And Moses asked, please, can I go in? And he told him no. And yet God in his mercy and his compassion allows him to see the very thing that he had been praying for so often for his people. Please don't forget your promise. Remember your promise. Remember your promise. You see, mercy at its core is giving us what we do not deserve. And you know, I think it's interesting. We talk a lot about grace. If you were to do a Google search on books about grace, you could probably find quite a few. We talk a lot about grace, but I think sometimes we forget about mercy. I like what Woodrow Kroll says. He says, justice is for those who deserve it. Mercy is for those who don't. We often leave mercy out when we should praise God for that mercy that we get what we don't deserve. Our God is a God of mercy. Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He gives Moses grace, mercy, compassion, but mostly we see mercy and compassion. But I want to table this for the time being because we're going to come back to mercy in just a bit. But now we're going to go to verse 9. And it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. We see Joshua as this man that was called by God. He was filled with the spirit. And he would be the one who would lead the people into the promised land. The people were to listen to him because he would be hearing instructions from God. And they were called to listen to his response. And the people did what Joshua said, just as they did with Moses. And when I think about Joshua, I can't help but think of the beginning of the book of Joshua and what God tells him in Joshua 1, 5 through 9. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just as God was there for Moses, he would be there with Joshua. Joshua had seen this. He had been through all of these big moments. He had seen how God had moved and how God had worked. And just as God was going to be there, he was there for Moses, he would be there for him. And in verse 9, I think we find reminder number 2. Transitions will come, but the plan of God continues Now think about Joshua for a sec. I can't imagine the weight of filling the shoes of a man like Moses. I mean, the man was 120 years old and that is prime. 
Now, but look at all the things that Moses went through and all the things that it talked about with Moses. And imagine being the man to fill the shoes of a man like Moses. And Joshua had a big task leading the people into the promised land, but God gave him the task. And God was with him. And God would be there for him just as he was with Moses. And God had a plan and it would continue You see, whether it is because God calls someone elsewhere or in the case of the story, a leader passes on from this life to the next, transition will happen. And the truth is, there will come a day, whether it's because God calls me elsewhere or God calls me home, that I will no longer be at Cornerstone. The same is true for Cody. The same is true for you. But you see, the plan of God continues whether I'm here, whether Cody is here, whether you are here. The kingdom work continues. God's plans continue forever. Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, his plan keeps going. And guess what? No matter the transition, the church will stand the church that is obedient, the church that puts their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ, who is obedient to what God calls them to do, will not perish. The work will continue. God's plan will continue. And it says even the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Matthew sixteen eighteen. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why do I think this is so important to mention the transition from Moses to Joshua? I think it's important because the people could have said, we just can't go on without Moses. We can't go on without Moses. He has been our leader. We can't go without Moses. We need Moses. It has to be Moses. But God was the one who had been doing all of these things. God was there this entire time. God's plan continued And you notice they didn't say this. They continued to listen to Joshua just as they listened to Moses, which we've been going through. You could be, what does that mean? They listened to him just like they listened to Moses because there's a lot of times they didn't listen to Moses. But they did what Joshua said. I think sometimes the truth is this. We get really attached to people, become loyal to people, And it feels like if those people are no longer there, then everything is just going to cease to exist. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, and I think I could speak for Cody as well, that we are so appreciative of the encouragement, the prayers, the love that you show to us, the the prayers that I get. I can feel it, and I can tell from the the text I get that it's so sincere. I'm so appreciative And just know, from the bottom of my heart, I feel that same way back. But if tomorrow the Lord called me home or called me elsewhere, if tomorrow he called Cody home or elsewhere, we know that the work would continue, that the church would continue to do what God has called us to do, to point people to him. Transitions will happen. They will come, but God's plan continues. And then we go into verses 10 through 12. 
It says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And we come to the end of Deuteronomy, we come to the end of this chapter, we come to the end of Moses' life, and it kind of ends with this little bit of a, I guess maybe eulogy or something like that, this kind of this description of the uniqueness of Moses. There was no one like him. He knew God face to face. And that's amazing to think about in itself, that relationship that he had with God, to know God in such an intimate way. And here's where I think we find reminder number three. We should desire relationship with God. Hear that. Desire a relationship with God. And this is important because a lot of people speak as though knowing who God is is the same thing. That's not the case. It's one thing to know who God is. Atheists know who God is. There's a difference between knowing who God is and being in relationship with God. And when I think of Moses, I think of the relationship that he had with God. God spoke to Moses as a friend. Exodus 33, 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I mean, in Exodus, we see an example of Moses being in the presence of God, and it made Moses' face shine. Exodus thirty-four twenty-nine. when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. How amazing to be in the presence of God like that. And when you read the story of Moses, you see the desire that he had to be in the presence of God and for God to be in the presence of the people He wanted to see God in his glory. Exodus 33, 15 through 18. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I in your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this is the very thing that you have, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, "Please show me your glory." He didn't just want to know who God was. He wanted to be in the presence in the midst in relationship with God. Go back and read the prayers of Moses. He desired God. He longed for God. And this should be the exact same thing we desire to be in the presence of God, to not just know who God is, but to know God closely, to desire relationship and intimacy with Him, to be in relationship with God. I love what it says in Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. 
I want to be as near to God as possible. I want to be in his presence. I want to be with him. Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. There is nothing or no one in this world that is better than being in relationship with God. He is, is he the desire of our hearts? Do we have that desire to be near him, with him in his presence? Do our faces shine because we have been in the presence of our Heavenly Father? And then we see that our text also mentions that he was unique in the fact that he was able to perform all of these signs and wonders being an instrument of God. And I think that brings us to reminder number four, that we should be a vessel full of faith. Now, let's be honest. We know that when God calls Moses, it was a little bit of a rocky start. There was some buts and what-ifs. What if they don't believe me? Or who am I? I don't speak well. Or uh, just all these excuses. And yet, over and over again, God unraveled the excuses that Moses was making. And we would see that he would end up being obedient. He would do what God called him to do. He became a vessel for God to use. And do you realize this morning that we are each to be a vessel? We are to be a vessel for God to use to do good works. That is what we are called to in 2 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are we putting off sin and choosing to be obedient, allowing God to use us? And then I think there's a key ingredient to this. Moses did all these signs and wonders, all these miraculous things, and how did he do it? He did it, well, Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 11, 24 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This is just a small snippet of the life of Moses, but I think there's a key word there, faith. It was by faith. Everything Moses did was by faith. He was obedient, and he was full of faith. Over and over again, he had faith. During the parting of the Red Sea, he had faith that God would open a way when that they would be able to cross through. All the times these plagues, these were... Times where he had faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. When they are out and they're looking for food and water, he had faith that God would provide. And yes, he had a costly mistake in which he broke faith. But even after that moment, he had faith. You see, we need to live our lives obedient as vessels that are full of faith in him. 
Are we putting all of our faith and trust in him? Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trust is the Lord. Romans 1, 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Matter of fact, the author of Hebrews tells us the importance of faith. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith in the life of a believer is important. Moses is a great example of what it means to have faith in the Lord. And this final tribute shows that he was a man who followed God faithfully all the way to the end. Do we have that same faith that no matter what the circumstance, no matter the situation, whether good or bad, God is in control? That God will do what he says he is going to do. And so we've come to the end of Moses' life here on earth. And I like how it says that there had been none like him for all the signs and wonders. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. There's nobody like him. But you see, I think one more important thing to remember from the life of Moses is that Moses' life pointed to the Messiah to come. There had never been another prophet like Moses up to this point. But the life of Moses foreshadows the coming of the Messiah. Even Moses himself prophesied this. Deuteronomy 18, 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him. It is to him you shall listen. And we know that this Messiah, when we fast forward to the New Testament, is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus would be like Moses in several ways. Several ways. He would be seen as a prophet just as Moses was seen as a prophet. Matthew 21, 46. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Just as Moses would give commandments to his followers, Jesus would give commandments to his followers. An example is John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. You see, just as Moses would be part of mediating a covenant between the people and God, Jesus would mediate a covenant between the people and God. Hebrews 9.15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see, just as Moses would lead his people out of captivity, so Jesus would also lead his people out of captivity. Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, just as Moses would intercede on behalf of his people, so Jesus would intercede on behalf of his people. 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
You see, just as Moses in points was willing to lay down his life for the people, so Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his people. John ten fifteen, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. First John three sixteen, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And you see, just as many times the people would reject what Moses had to say, the people would reject Jesus. His own people. John 1.11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But here is the thing. For as great a man, a prophet as Moses was, he was not above the sun. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 tells us this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Moses did great things. He was a friend of God. He spoke face to face with God, but Jesus is the son of God who dwells with God, who intercedes on our behalf, who gave his life for us. And now this is where we come back to mercy. And there's this great picture of love and mercy in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross with his blood poured out. He didn't deserve this, but he took the punishment he didn't deserve so that we don't get what we deserve. We deserve death, because, but because of the mercy of God, we get a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Have you given your life to him? Or are you refusing to do so, still searching for hope, a future, and the things of this world? We talked about it last week and the choice still remains on the table for you today. Will you choose to receive him? Will you choose to give your life to him, to be obedient and faithful to him? Or will you choose the world? And I love how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. He's the only way. The decision is still there for you this morning and you have to decide. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as the worship team makes their way up here, this morning you have an opportunity to make the right decision, to give your life to Jesus Christ, to put your faith, your trust in him, to serve him obediently, full of faith. You can make that decision today. And if you haven't made that decision, there's no better time than now. 
maybe you're here this morning and you've made that decision, but you really haven't been living it out. And really, maybe lately, it just feels like you, you know who God is. You read the word a little bit and you know who you are, but you haven't really been desiring relationship with him. You haven't been desiring to be in his presence, to be near God. If that's you this morning, if you're here, if your faith is stagnant, your vessel is empty, then maybe this morning what you need to do is spend time talking with him, laying that at his feet. And so if you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, you've never given your life to him, you could do so. I'd love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just need to pray. I'd love to pray with you. But this morning, we have all these reminders from the story of Moses. And and he was a man who desired a relationship with God. He was obedient to what God called him to do. But one of the things that stands out to me in the story of Moses is the mercy that God showed him. The grace that was shown to him. And God shows us that same mercy. This morning, if you have a decision to make, you can do so as we stand together and we sing.